my friend mentioned to me that something along the lines of, did you know you could get free college based on a test score? And I was thinking, no, I did not know that, but maybe this is a way we can get some college money. Hi, you're listening to the Zan Tyler Podcast. When my family started our homeschooling journey, there were so many decisions to make, but one of our best decisions was choosing to use BJU Press Homeschool. I've never seen my kids so excited to get textbooks before. I'm amazed by how interesting and interactive the lessons are. My kids actually look forward to them. We use the online video lessons for all our courses, but I know some families choose to teach from the textbooks. What I love is that I can trust BJU Press to uphold our values. The Bible and biblical principles are woven throughout each subject. I'll admit, I was a bit nervous when I started homeschooling, but I've found a wonderful online community of other BJU Press homeschool families and consultants. The Homeschool Hub also makes my job easier. I can set up our schedules and rearrange them with just a few clicks. On the dashboard, I can see each of my kids' progress, and the assignments page shows me quickly what's ready for me to check or grade. I'm glad my son's biology assignments are automatically graded. BJU Press Homeschool has given us the tools and confidence to homeschool our children. For more information, do what I did and visit the BJU Press Homeschool website or talk with your local HomeWorks consultant. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Zan Tyler podcast, where our goal is to help you thrive on your homeschooling journey. Let me take just a minute to ask you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And if this podcast has been encouraging to you, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Each review really helps us. We're available on YouTube now where you can actually watch our amazing guests and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. So have you ever wondered how you will pay for college? Well, worry no more. Our guest today is Jean Burke. Jean is the author of the award-winning College Prep Genius Program and is a frequent contributor to various media outlets. Her children earned incredible scholarships that included free college. She has taught thousands of students around the world how to use the SAT, ACT, CLT, and, uh, and she is a sought-after speaker who equips and educates family on college prep and scholarships. She's also a homeschool mom, so stay tuned. I think you will really be encouraged. So, Jean, welcome. It's so great to have you with us. Zan, thank you so much. I think both of us are kind of winding down from the conference season, so it's actually nice to be home, sleeping in my own bed, <laughs> sitting in a chair, not on an airplane, so thanks for having me. Yes, it is nice. Travel can really be fun, but after several months in a row, it can really be wearing as well. So, um, so Jean, let me ask you uh, to tell us about your family and your homeschooling journey, how you got into homeschooling. Well, it was really interesting because when Jim and I got married, you know, as, as believers, you know, we always thought, well, we'll put our kids in, we have kids one day, we'll put them in private school, Christian school seemed to be the thing that you would do because we both went to public school and my son was about six months old and my husband came home. He would go to a study group with one of the guys at his job to this lady who taught about liberty and they were a homeschooling family and he comes home and says, hey, we're going to homeschool. And I was like, okay, what's that? <laughs> and um, <laughs> so uh, I had a lot of time to think about it because he was only a baby. And 
the only real outlet that I had was my church. And so um, for several years, I could, I just took that time to look at other kids like teenagers and young middle schoolers to kind of see what they were like. And I observed kids from both public and private school. And I, I did notice that there was some things or some issues I didn't want in my kids. I saw rebellion. I saw that they were the ones who got in trouble, sat at the back, they passed the notes. Uh, one day a homeschooling family did come and visit our church and they were weird. I mean, the kids sat with their parents and listened to them and didn't run around and get in trouble. And so that really solidified the whole idea of, Hey, let's do this thing. I think it's, I think it can be something that um, I always wanted my kids to be respectful and, um, uh, you know, eliminate that hundred percent peer pressure was, was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what did you think was the best part of homeschooling? Why did you keep homeschooling after you started? Well, certainly obedience, you know, I, the Lord, if the Lord calls you, you know, the next step is, are you going to do what he said? And I, you know, I hear a lot of people over the years go, you know, I, I want the Lord's calling me to homeschool, but, and you kind of go, wait, stop. <laughs> no, no. You got to get rid of the butt. The Lord's calling you homeschool and there is no butt. Uh, but you know, the thing that I loved about homeschooling probably the most was just the relationship that you have with your children, mm-hmm. being able to know them and they know you and to be able to impart in their life and, and you can't get that time back. And so just, you know, my, they're adults, they both have their careers. My son is an attorney in LA and my daughter is an FBI special agent in New York. And so I have law and order on both coasts. And so, <laughs> but, you know, we talk all the time and I, I just love that relationship. You, you can't buy that, you know, when your kids are away from you. Yeah, that's right. Well, tell us what led you to start the business you have in terms of uh, helping kids, helping parents prepare their kids for college and going to college for free. Well, it began back with my own son. Uh, as a homeschooling family, most people are one income. So we, we definitely yeah. didn't have any money for school at all. And I was at my friend's house one day. My son was toward the end of his ninth grade year. And my friend mentioned to me that something along the lines of, did you know you could get free college based on a test score? And I was thinking, no, I did not know that. But maybe this is a way we can get some college money. So with my son, Josh, it was very helter skelter. We didn't know what we're doing. We bought some books at the store. We took a couple of local classes. We went through tons and tons of practice tests, just trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. And it was just a lot of stuff. And we did this over, over about a year and a half and short story long, he became a national merit scholar and we ended up throwing away seven trash bags full of college offers. And this was over wow. a year time. Yes, every day my mailbox mm. filled up full of <clears throat> these letters and these uh, this information saying, Josh, if you come to my school, I'll give you a free ride. Or another one might say, come here and we'll give you honors dorms. Or another one might say, come here and we'll pay for your grad school or study abroad stipends. And they sort of kept up in the ante to him. And so our decision went from how in the world are we going to pay for college to where in the world should we go? Because we have you know so many opportunities. Um, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then my daughter started getting scholarship offers and free college offers. And my friends were wanting to know, how did you, how did you get free college? Um, and then I ultimately, like I, I wrote a book and started teaching down my home, which led to me going to schools and then other cities, other states. And then I've also taught in other countries. Well, that's, that's a pretty fascinating journey. 
so what would you tell parents who want to start preparing their teens for the SAT and PSAT or the ACT, but have absolutely no idea where to start? Well, the first thing to really understand is that these tests are not about IQ. They're not about how smart you are and not that parents, kids that are listening aren't smart, but valedictorians bomb these tests all the time because they, it's a different skill set that's not taught anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're basically just logic tests and the, the questions can be purposely misleading and the wrong answers can be very appealing. And so student, this is why you've got even top 10% of schools, you know, getting test scores back that don't reflect their GPA. So first of all, understanding that it's not some particular curriculum that you need to use or your child doesn't have to be some kind of genius, but really it's just learning the recurring patterns and just practicing correctly using real test questions. That's really it. It's it's really no different than piano. I mean, to really excel at piano or some type of sport, you know, you learn the chords, the, the keys, or the moves, the plays, the techniques, and then you just practice. And so for families out there, just first of all, realize it's it that you can do this, that that it really is uh, an attainable um, goal that you can have because, you know, I've had students who've had severe dyslexia, dysgraphia, autism, get full rides to college. Uh, once you learn that it's just a standardized test with standardized questions and standardized answers. So you can't study for the test, but you study the test itself. And you learn the strategies for taking the test. You do. So when is the optimal time for a student to begin studying for the test? And is it, po- is it possible to start too early? Absolutely not. I have sixth graders who do my program. Of course, not all sixth graders are ready. So that's, you know, don't feel like your right. sixth grader has to do it, but I have a good amount of right. seventh graders and definitely eighth grade and above. The sooner you start, the more time you have to improve because you cannot get that time back. And, you know, as kids get older, they're going to get busier. Once you enter into high school, right. you're taking on probably more school, more homework, maybe a part-time job, maybe you play outside sports, uh, club, churches, school. I mean, Uh, there's just so much involvement, volunteering. And so uh, you can't squeeze one more thing in when you're so maxed out. It's a lot harder. Now I've had kids certainly do things in a short amount of time, you know, when, when they're really waiting to the last minute, which a lot of parents don't know how important these tests are, but they can still do well, but it does put a lot of pressure on them. So start, start early. So tell us how, the scholarship aspect of all of this works? So 85% of colleges are going to admit and give money based on test scores alone. And most of the big lucrative money comes from the colleges. Yes, there's outside scholarships as well. And I talk about those. Um, But scholarship money is tied directly to your test score because what it does is a high test score elevates the rankings of the college. So it makes the colleges look better. And so when the colleges look better, you know, they get more funding and they're willing to roll out that red carpet and give families all kinds of money, students, all kinds of money because they're a business and they want to attract the best students. And one of the things is when your students come in with high scores and get lots of money, it Mm -hmm. brings on all these students who can pay full sticker price because those students who that have the money or they're willing to go into debt over college, they want to go to higher ranking colleges. And so the colleges can attract those students or they can attract 
athletes who are very talented who only need the bare minimum to get in, which of course is going to drop their ranking. So they're out looking for the students with a higher score and they're willing to reward them with lots of benefits, including free college. So what kind of SAT score and ACT score are you looking for, is the student looking for, to qualify for free rides to these um, Ivy League type schools? Well, and, and I get asked all the time, what is a good SAT score? And I'm like, the one that gets you what you want. Um, it's, yeah, it's, okay. very, it's very relative to the college. So, for example, right. um, like the Alabama State, to get anywhere from full tuition up to full ride plus, which could be extra perks, I think it's a 25 ACT and a 1240, uh, 25 ACT, about a 1240 SAT. So, that's not high, but you know, some another school might be thirteen hundred and twenty-eight, or it's it's going to going to vary depending on the school. Most colleges okay. will have it listed on their site, so I always encourage okay. families to go to their website of colleges you're considering, and just you know, they list their what is the score they need to get in, what is a score to get a partial or half or even a full scholarship. Okay. Okay. That, that is great advice. So tell us why critical skills, critical thinking skills are so important when it comes to taking the SAT and the ACT. Well, SAT and ACTs are logic tests. These are tests that test your critical thinking because a 4.0 at one high school is not the same at another high school. Every school calculates their right. scores differently. So the only fair way a college can compare, can compare a homeschool student versus public, private school kids all across our nation is an SAT or ACT because it levels the playing field. But they can't test you on something that you learn because what we learn in Texas is not what someone learns in California or Florida or anywhere else. So the, the one thing we do have in common is our uh, critical thinking skills, which is kind of a, a necessary skill for college readiness. But the thing about it is, is like someone student out there might take really hard, rigorous courses and have right. a certain GPA, let's say a 4.0 unweighted GPA, but their neighbor mm -hmm, next door, mm -hmm. he goes to an easy school, has easy teachers, and he has a 4.0. Now they look the same on paper. So you've right. got to have some kind right. of, well, and this is the thing, some kind of numerical component that's common to all applicants. And, and these tests standardize all students, which makes it fair uh, for, for everyone, whether you're, you're low income, middle height, it doesn't matter. It's the same test, whether you're, you know, go okay. to a rich school or a poor school, it doesn't matter. Okay. Well, one thing I just want to say, our sponsor for this podcast is BJU Press Homeschool. And for you parents out there, if you're looking for curriculum that really encourages and engages your child in critical thinking, then the Bob jo the BJU Press curriculum is certainly something you should be looking at because that is one of their strengths as a curriculum. So tell me the difference between the SAT and the PSAT? The College Board makes both SAT and PSAT. So they have different functions. The, the questions are gonna be very similar. And so if you're studying for one, you're studying for the other one. But the SAT is used to get into college and get scholarship money. The PSAT is only used for the National Merit Scholarship Contest in the junior year. Now, certainly the 10th graders can take the PSAT 10 and the Eighth and ninth graders can take the PSAT 8-9. Those are just practice. But when you get to the junior year, 
that's the one what, what happened to my son that started this whole thing where he ended up getting that national merit scholar uh, award and uh, all the full ride offers. Um, but that only counts in the junior year. So you can take, if you take the PSAT, you still have to take the SAT. Okay. So, but let's be clear because I think people don't understand this. The only way to get the national merit scholarship award being national merit finalist is through the PSAT, not the SAT. Correct. Correct. And, and a lot of people, okay. yes. And here's the thing. A lot of people think that the PSAT is a practice SAT. Well, the P stands for preliminary, not practice. So the full name okay. is PSAT slash NMSQT for National Merit Scholarship Qualifying Test. Okay. And is there, what is the difference in the two tests in terms of we already know it's not what you know, it's how you think, but there's got to be a difference in the two tests. Well, so yes, as of right now, the SAT is three hours long. The PSAT is two hours and 45 minutes long. What's happening okay. at the end of this year, so there was a little less math and a little less, uh, one less passage. But what's happening this year is the, the tests are going digital. The PSAT will go digital in October of this year and the SAT in March of 2024. So they are going to both drop down to the same two hours and 14 minutes. Now, they haven't released any full-length tests yet, definitely PSATs until the end of August. So but one of the things that I do know is that we started doing this in 2001 and the SATs changed through, and PSATs changed three times. But the same strategies and shortcuts and patterns that we taught back Every time it's changed, it still works. We, we've looked at sample questions and same thing. They don't have any new tricks. Okay. So the SAT is going from three minutes to two, I mean, from three hours to two minutes, two hours and 14 minutes. Correct. They both are actually. Because there's okay. before, well, that's before. A, that's a 45 minute cut. That's pretty significant. It is. It is. Uh, you. It is It is digital. It will, it will be digital and you can, you have to go to a facility, take your own laptop and all that. The other thing okay. is, but of course, the, if you have kids taking the SAT right now, I would highly recommend just doing it right now until it gets on digital. It's going to be paper and pencil until December. So take there's an upcoming August, October, November, and December. So there's four more this year SATs that I highly recommend your students get get done, get over before it changes. So tell us the difference in the ACT and the SAT and how and how do kids know which one to take? So they are totally different companies. The College Board makes the SAT and the American College Test makes the ACT. And to be totally honest, they're about 99% the same test. So if you study for one, you're studying for the other one. And there's a crossover of information that works on both. Back in 2012, when David Coleman took over for the College Board, it was the first time in history that more students took the ACT than the SAT maybe 1.8 million to about 1.7 million, but it was enough for David Coleman to make some changes. And so what he did was he hired ACT writers to rewrite the new SAT. So that's why they would look very, very similar now. And so it, when a company wants to sell you an SAT program and an ACT program and a PSAT program, that's a huge red flag because they're pretty much all very similar as far as a standardized test. And you can use the same, like I said, uh, test taking techniques to, to work on both tests. Okay. That's very interesting. So here is something that I do, you know, we, um, I 
started a state organization called the South Carolina Association of Independent Home Schools. And so it's still going and I'm still on the board. We have a high school program and we have met with all the college admissions personnel in our state. So they, they're familiar with our transcripts. We worked hard to have our students qualify for the same state scholarships that public and private school kids get. And um, so we really encourage our students to you know, the, the ones that are college bound to work on the SAT. And so we keep hearing these rumors that, oh, the SAT is going away um, because it's not fair in terms of diversity issues and all these other things. And so I'm assuming people are saying that about the ACT as well and the PSAT. So is that a rumor? Is there any merit to that? Can you kind of shed some light on that for us? Absolutely. And I hear this all the time. So first of all, um, BC before COVID, um, there, were about, <laughs> there were about 15% of schools that were quote unquote test optional. Uh, the interesting thing about those schools, they were mainly specialized schools and, and most of the kids set their scores in anyways. Now, which, when you say specialized schools, what do you mean? Well, they weren't necessarily like your normal four-year university that you could go in and get a lot of different uh, degrees. They were just, maybe they honed in on just a few things. But the other okay. ironic thing about us, some of them created their own test, which are, which was a standardized test. But I want to just right. really, you know, post COVID era, what happened was, you know, a lot of the colleges, you know, we know that in 2020, they canceled the SATs and ACTs so nobody could take them. And what happened was uh, a lot of the schools were going to stay test optional until 2024. And then last year, something really interesting happened, and that was uh, MIT came and said, you know what, we're, we're, we're done with this no testing. We are going back to it because it was the only fair way to level the playing field for all students, especially students in underserved, yeah. well, underserved communities, because these kids didn't have the luxury of, of spending a lot of money and going to some expensive private school or, you know, prep school. Right. And so once yeah, MIT, right. well, and once MIT returned, Purdue, it was kind of follow the leader, but now we still have schools. Now this is where you got to be, where families need to be really careful. So the word test optional is a very deceptive word. It doesn't mean test blind. Test optional means a lot of these colleges have what's called a test optional option. And what that means oh, is. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yes. Cause that's a big difference in being test it's optional a, and test blind. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so here's the thing, why it's so deceptive. Because let's say a, a school says, oh, we're test optional, or we have that component. So let's say that maybe they have a thousand seats to fill and normally they get 5,000 applications, but all of a sudden they mm -hmm. say, we're test optional. So now you might get 30,000 applicants, which means multiply 30,000 times $90 in application fee. That's several million dollars that the college just right. made. And they are able to reject more students because they didn't add any more seats, they still have the same amount of seats. So when they reject mm -hmm. more students, they seem more selective, a better brand. And so what they found when they did all these studies post COVID on these t test optional schools, that the uh, several things happened. They found that the diversity gain was only 1%. The other thing was a lot of family, a lot of people quit the admin staff because it became too overwhelming to try to 
compare students. There was no way to standardize them. There's one less data oh, point. That's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. what becomes unfair and, and, and very biased mm. is that if you don't have that one test that everybody, the exact same test everybody takes, now they have to look at uh, essays and resumes and those become not fair because there's a lot of people who have a lot of money who pay, pay someone to write an essay for their students or they have spent a lot of right. money to create a stellar resume. So now that's what becomes unfair. And so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, so the staff were quitting because they were spending too much time trying to compare students and figure out how, how can we do that? So what happened was it gives students a false sense of hope, like, oh, their test optional, so I, I don't have to go there. I can, I mean, I don't have to take a test, right. but the reason why people, kids right. tend, well, and here's, here's the thing, Zan, the reason why kids go to test optional schools is because, um, they either don't have a really good score. They don't understand how to take the test, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. they just don't want to take the test. And the, the difference between taking a test and not taking a test on a test optional school is that those who take the test have a 250% chance of being accepted over someone who does not. Because oh, that this, is so this, interesting. Well, the schools are all for themselves. It's it's WIFM. What's in it for me? And the students who, you know, if they're on the fence about two applications with very similar stats and one took the SAT and one didn't or ACT, um, they're going to always go with the student who's going to make them look good. So that's why right. you got to be really careful. Well, this is news to me because I had this is one thing I have never understood. And that's really important for parents and students to know that that's really um, powerful information and information is power when it comes to these types of things. So tell us what the CLT is, Jean. So the CLT classic learning test uh, has been around around 2000 since about 2015. And it is a alternative to the SAT and ACT created by Jeremy Tate. He wanted to create a test different than the SAT and ACT. One, because crazy, you know, it's been, SAT has been around since the 1920s and the ACT has been around since the 1950s, but he wanted to create a test that would raise the standard and be based more on Western traditions. And so you're going to find passages like from C.S. Lewis, Augustine, Charles Dickens, you know, a lot of the, uh, uh, the medieval authors, you know, early modern, late modern. So you would have a, probably a passages that students are probably more familiar, familiar with than some of the other stuff that they write because SAT and ACT is a race to the bottom and they're all worried about PC and all that. But so this test came out and as a matter of fact, what's interesting is it was a very David and Goliath story because when they came, when Jeremy came out with it, they, everyone was like, yeah, there's no way you can compete against SAT and ACT, but nobody foresaw 2020 when the whole world shut down and the SATs and ACTs were canceled across our nation for the whole year. Uh, you couldn't take a test. You couldn't, they had no way to admit and give money. They didn't know how to do that, know how to do that. But every college that knew about the CLT accepted it because it was already remotely proctored and their enrollment went up 5,000%. So it's a better test. It's still a logic test, uh, mm -hmm. but it's one that students can take at home. Uh, they don't have to go to a facility. And one of the things I want to really encourage uh, families is similar to the PSAT and MSQT for the junior year, the CLT 10 for the sophomore year is on par with the PSAT. So 
rising sophomores this coming year can take the CLT 10 and they could, if they get that top 1%, then what happens is they can get, start getting some major scholarship money and a $2,500 check from the CLT before they become a junior. And it's offered five times next year and they'll take the highest score for scholarships. Wow. And so you, we have normal colleges, you know, I've heard for years that this was more of a conservative Christian type test, but what you're saying is that all colleges will look at the CLT. Well, scores. about 250 of them officially will look at it right now, but okay. during COVID everyone would do that, but it's not a Christian, it's not a Christian test. Although many of the authors in uh, the passages are influenced by Christian leaders, but you're going to also see, um, passages from Nietzsche. Um, it's, it's, it's a way to challenge the students, you know, because we want our kids to be critical thinkers. And so, um, and, and if a school, if your student does take the CLT and the school they want to go to doesn't officially accept it yet, it's very parent driven. Many instances, parents will go to the school and say, my child took the CLT and did the certain score and they will accept the CLT. Or if, or if they can use it as leverage, you know, if they get a certain scholarship from one school based on CLT, then uh, the, they'll say, hey, listen, can you match the scholarship? Because it's been, it's been norm referenced. So it is, it is Interesting. Okay, on good. par. Yep. Well, think about this. The, one, the highest you can get on a CLT is 120, the, which is equal to a 36 on the ACT or 1600 on the SAT. Okay. Okay, well, that's good. Boy, that's good to know. So do students, like you said, the prep for the ACT, SAT, and PSAT is the same. How about for the CLT? Do they have their own prep material? So good question. So many of my students are in the top 1% on the CLT just using my SAT and ACT program. Because again, very okay. similar strategies. But we, are, we, have an, we have a specific CLT program that has okay. been in the works for a long time. It'll be out in the next few months, and, and I'm excited about that. Um, but we are the official test prep for the CLT, so I'm very honored and humbled by that. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. We covered so much great information. I hope you'll stay tuned and listen to us next week uh, when we'll move on to part two. We all want to learn how we can send our kids to college for free. So thanks for being with us. For more information, you can find me at zantyler.com. Until next time, bye.